Welcome to Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Marini, and uh, we've got an emergency pod here and some breaking news as Williams Racing has announced that Logan Sargent will drive for the team in 2024. And joining me to break it all down is Mr. Michael Bauman. Dude, what's going on? It's been a while. How are you? Yeah, I thought you didn't like me anymore, but I'm glad to be back, you know, for this emergency podcast. Not like you. Know, let me tell you what. We need to talk about America, and we need to talk about American drivers. You're the first guy on my <laughs> list. Let me tell you, because you know what, man, you actually, uh, you know, you spent some time with him. You've spoken to him quite a bit. You've written a great article on him uh, as well, so you know the subject uh, inside and out. And uh, same for myself. No Logan quite well, so you're the best guy to uh, sit down and uh, carve this one up with. Um, so. I mean, I think some people may like the signing, Michael. Some people may not like the signing. Some may feel that Williams should have gone in a different direction altogether. Yeah. I have my thoughts on that that I'll say for a little bit later. But you know, for yourself, like, wh- what do you, um, what, what do you think? Like, do you, do you feel like this was a good move by Williams to bring him back for one more season? Well, as you mentioned. You know, I am, I guess, the the ranking jingoistic American that you have on the show from time to time. So obviously, I'm thrilled to see you know, the only American driver of, of the past or the only full time American driver of the past 15 years back on the grid for another year. Uh, Williams clearly likes him a lot. And yet I'm kind of ambivalent because we've you know, every time I've been on the show, we've talked about Logan and, you know, I, you I think know him way better than I do. You know, I remember your interview with him. You're like the only person I've ever seen get like personality out of him, which is, (laughs) you know, it's, it's no small thing. So, you know, obviously I think, you know, speak for both of us when I say we are a Logan Sargent positive group here, but I kept waiting for that breakthrough. You know, obviously he's got the speed. He's shown flashes both in practice and in qualifying and in, you know, dating back to, to F2 and F3 and just, he never really put it together on a full race weekend. And I think it's fair to hold that against him. I think it's fair to judge him, you know, pretty harshly. You know, he had more than 20 chances to get himself back up to speed. And I think, I don't think anybody expected him to be, you know, beating Alex Albon right away or even by the end of the season, but and there were times when he got close, but it's not just the results, you know, the one points finish that needed numerous penalties. It's the crashes. And, you know, I think that there's a very real parallel to be drawn to Mick Schumacher here because, you know, the only way you can judge drivers in comparison to their teammate and Schumacher's teammate his rookie year, Schumacher didn't score a point uh, for over his two year career in F1, had similar crash problems that pose a financial and development problem for yeah. a smaller team, which I think like if you were going to can Logan, that's what I would do it for is like bring the car home safely. I think that's job number one, but Schumacher's comparison was to Nikita Mazepin, who is one of the worst full-time F1 drivers uh, of know, maybe the 21st century. I don't know how far you want to go back, but, uh, but Sergeant was up against Alex Albon, who I think who's very, very highly regarded within the paddock, you know, viewed as a genuine team leader and somebody who, you know, could eventually become a race winner. Uh, and, you know, he's sort of the ideal elder statesman now for that, that Williams team. And he just handed Logan his, his dinner. And it's, so I don't know. I think what this says to me is I get into what I think is like minute three of this rant is 
I when you talk about getting rid of somebody, whether it's an athlete or making a change, you know, in any sport, athlete or coach or, or executive, the question that should immediately follow that is who do you replace them with? Mm-hmm. And I don't have a good answer for that. I think if there was another driver really knocking down the door who Williams could have access to, then they might have made the change, even though they really want to put Logan in a position to succeed. And I think that's what it's come down to. I don't know who you go get. Yeah, I mean it's such a such a tough one too because it's not like there's a it's not like there's like a, a sexy type of replacement that's out there, right? Like there mm-hmm. just, there just isn't. I mean, like, and that's not taking a shot at the likes of like Felipe Djokovic, who obviously is a Formula Two champion. Took him a few years to get there, but and then Mick Schumacher, obviously still available, obviously because of the Mercedes program he's involved with and then obviously the synergies between mercedes and williams and both sharing the same engine and rear end but then you kind of look past all that and there i mean there really isn't like you know much at all if anything that you can really hang your hat on and say like this is the guy who's going to come in he's going to be a stable driver he's going to give us results and we can trust that this driver is going to be worth our time and money to invest into. I don't think it's smart to go out and get a younger driver like a Mick Schumacher who had his chance and a Felipe Drugovich who is still getting his feet wet within F1 now with Aston Martin as a reserve driver. He's going to be the reserve driver for next season as well. I just don't think they have that experience. And I think with this level of F1 car, now you need those drivers who have that experience. I mean, that's why Haas went out and gets, you know, Nico Hulkamu mm. brings him back, right? They're not, they're not going to throw, you know, Pietro Fittipaldi in there and be like, you're now our number two driver buying Kevin Magnuson. This is not going to happen, right? He just doesn't have that experience with driving different types of Formula One cars. And I think for, I think for rookies, and I've said it before, on this podcast, it's the fact that it takes a while in Formula One, especially nowadays, to really see what you've got. I mean, even I would say year two, Bauman, that's not even going to be enough. I would say, like, once you get to year three, then you have an understanding of what you've got. Then you know how far you can push the driver. You know how far they're going to develop and just how good they are going to be. I think for Logan, and you and I have discussed this before, coming into Formula One just underdone. Right. Like he's just not mm-hmm. fully cooked and, and ready to ready to go. He hasn't spent, you know, a second year in Formula Two, which, you know, I feel he probably should have more from the standpoint that Yos Capito rushed this driver through to make a big splash at the USGP back in 2022 to make sure that they are going to have an American for 2023, but not taking into consideration, hey, what else does Logan need to learn? to jump in and be successful straight out of the gate. Like look at Oscar Piastri, great driver, incredible talent, generational almost in terms of talent, you may say, but he also had a year outside of formula two of seasoning, Mm -hmm. spending working with not like two to three engineers with these guys work with in formula two working with hundreds of engineers. And that changes the whole dynamic of, everything this driver has to do and not having that experience. I think for Logan, that had to be like super eye opening, man. Like that's got to be like more pressure added to the shoulders coming in to just start your first season of formula one. And so 
you know, he didn't, he didn't get off to a bad start. I would say it wasn't horrible, but by the time we got to the Canadian Grand Prix and that's when Alex Albon really came to life, I, I would say from then on, it was a massive struggle um, for Logan to close that performance gap between himself and, and between Alex, because it was huge. And I don't think they actually really, he actually really didn't close that up until a lot later in the season. Yeah. But I think at the same time, I mean, you're going up against Alex Albon. It looked like he hit another level in his driving, and that's the best I've ever seen him. Um, and then we got to the British Grand Prix. And I thought, like, okay, well, he looks pretty good here. Finished P11. And I believe you – I can't remember what your tweet was, but it was a good stat. It was, like, the first driver to finish that high up in the championship in – it was, like, quite Scott's some time. speed, yeah, because Alex Rossi's yeah. best uh, finish was 12th. And, I mean, that just – mostly just a, a comment about the state of like America because you know, the, the 10th place finish in, um, in Austin was technically mm-hmm. the first point scored by an American since long Michael time. Andretti. So was like 30 years or something. Yeah. It was a long time. Yeah. But I mean, from, I would say once we got out of the British Grand Prix, I kind of had these hopes that, okay, you know, like he's, he looks like he's kind of figured it out. It looks like he's got it. I mean, he knew the track quite well, so I was expecting him to perform uh, quite well. And and then the final two races before the summer break, you know, it was a, it was, you know, DNF in Hungary, and then I think it was a P seventeen in Spa, and those were tracks where, like Spa in particular, tracks where I think the team was feeling they could score some good points and really get themselves solidified in that either P7 or push for P6 in the constructors and get that money that they they really need. So I think coming out of the summer break, I think for Sargent, there's a lot of shoulder, a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Yeah. And in particular, you know, going to these these next few European rounds, uh, Zandvoort and then the Italian Grand Prix. Um, the Italian Grand Prix stands out to me because that's, again, it was to be another Williams favored track. And so a place where they could score some points and maybe Logan could score his first points as well, but P 13 and Monza. So it didn't really go that well. And then from then on out, I was, I was honestly, man, I wasn't sure if he was going to be back because no. he was, yeah. he was going to hit tracks, uh, Michael, that he's never been to. Right. Like, I think like after that, it was like Japan, then it was, uh, what was it? Japan, Singapore, yeah. Qatar, like, and then obviously Qatar didn't go well at all. I mean, dehydrated, had the flu coming in, had to pull out of that. So I think from there, I was kind of like, I'm not sure if this guy sticks around. But then at the same time, I was like, who are they going to replace him with? Yeah. I mean, and I think they, around. that's why they ran this decision down past the end of the season is they yeah. could, they were in a position where they could let the driver market come to them and nobody's, you know, nobody worth chasing really got forced out of a seat. There was no, you know, post racing point Sergio Perez or, um, you know, Valtteri Botas, you know, after his Mercedes. There's nobody like that sort of falling down the ladder, particularly yeah. after Daniel Ricciardo got uh, the full time AlphaTauri seat. And I guess like the low, you know, the much mooted loan move for Liam Lawson never came together because Lawson was, you know, he was everything that we could have possibly hoped. Logan Sargent could have been as a, as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason that didn't work. And there was just nobody within the system and, you know, nobody that they had access to. I think if like, if Drogovic or Schumacher or Teo Porcher was in the Williams system right now, they would have made that change. Yeah. And I mean, this is just, this is 
the story of Logan's career for the past couple of years is like he was on the verge of being bounced out of the European ladder just because the funding ran out. And then Williams picked him up. And ever since then, he's just been at the right place at the right time. You know, when I wrote that story about, you know, the next American F1 driver a couple of years ago, or I guess it was, was that a couple of years ago. I don't know. Yeah, what, A couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. No, it was last year. Um, I don't know what year it is. Uh, <laughs> I, what I came away from that, fully expecting the next American F1 driver to be Colton Herta. I thought like he showed stuff that Sargent certainly had not, you know, Sargent took a big leap after I talked to him. Um, But it hurt. It was just, it was so impressive in the interview. I was like, this is a guy like, I don't know where the the ceiling is for this guy. And I never really got that perception about Sargent. I think Williams, you know, I've said this a million times. I think Williams would have, kept him in formula two another year if the driver situation had, had allowed them to. And, you know, you're seeing inexperience. I think, you know, I also think he got unlucky a lot that there was some, you know, this is not a car that's competitive at every track as much as he crashed it, it broke down on him a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned him getting sick at Qatar, like stuff like that. Just nothing could really go right. And you could just see this, you know, very inexperienced driver, you know, you could almost see his head dropping a little bit. And I think that, if there's a cause for optimism that that he can put this behind him and really come into 2024 with a fresh mindset. Um, Cause you know, he, he really does. Yeah. I've, I've said this three, four times on, on the show throughout the season. It's like, we need to see that breakthrough coming and we never yeah. really did. And that, that just remains true. Nothing really changes now that he's in the car again. I also, one of the things I should point out, you know, the cars, obviously, they weren't the same either. So the car that, you mm-hmm. know, at times Alex Albon had and the car that Logan had in, in certain races, they weren't the exact same car where, you know, Alex was getting, obviously, the preferential treatment for the upgrades we've seen now for this season and last season, just how important these upgrades are for these cars. They had a ton of performance, but at the end of the day, you know, Logan wasn't getting those upgrades until either the next race or the race yeah. after that. Be simply because the team either A couldn't manufacture the the parts fast enough, or B didn't really have the finances to just dump into pumping parts out twenty four seven like some other teams can. And I also think C they don't have the infrastructure to do it in in general. They don't have the infrastructure to turn parts out quick enough to get them to these race cars and like for Williams that's going to be another thing moving forward yeah and that could really frustrate Logan I think at the end of the day like let's say that you know next season he's able to really nail those consistent performances like just have a good weekend where you're consistently strong starting from FP1 all the way through to race finish and it's like you had said that's what he needs he needs to do that he needs to show us that because he hasn't but that's what he needs to do for next season for sure. But think about how frustrated this driver is going to get if he's putting those performances in, but the team's not delivering the upgrades fast enough. So that's, that's a good point. And I saw uh, Gary Anderson from the race make this point. I I thought I sort of disagreed with his overall take on Sargent, but I think this point in particular is really important, which is that he led F1 in crash damage. It was something, you know, like, I saw a figure of like $4 million, but every time they had to rebuild his car, that's money and, and factory time and resources that yeah. they couldn't put into upgrading it. And it just, it hurts the entire team when he does it. And like, 
James Vowles was a lot, a lot nicer to, to Logan about this than Gunther Steiner was to Mick Schumacher a year ago. But for a small team, you can't put up with that many, you know, that many setbacks, you know, unforced errors. And so as much as the car let him down from, from time to time, you know, I, I think Williams tolerance for, for crash damage from, from Logan and not even in race situations a lot of the time, I think like, you know, you're running wheel to wheel and, and someone punches a hole in your side pod or, you know, you lose your front wing, like fine. Nobody cares about it. Like that's just part of the game, but like dropping it in practice, putting it in the wall, losing it in qualifying, that kind of stuff really adds up. And and I think James Val's tolerance for that is a lot higher than mine would be in, in that yeah. situation. And that's another interesting part of it because <clears throat> from folks who I'd spoken to with the team, you know, it really did sound like, you know, James, had Logan's back. He really, um, he really believed in him. And, and it's an interesting story between those two, because if you go back to the days when Logan was in Formula three, he did a test with Mercedes at their, um, at their simulator at their factory. And at the time, you know, that was part of James Valls's job at Mercedes was to look into younger talent and let's see where younger talent's going to come from. And Logan went through there. And James said no to him. Like they basically yeah. said, this isn't going to be our guy. We got to pass on him. And now the two of them are working together. But the interesting part of it is that, you know, James, I think could have simply just threw him under the bus, got rid of him and replaced him as soon as he came to the team as team principal starting in this new year. But he did it. And I think the interesting part of it is James actually sort of put the old arm around the shoulder and said, every time after every tough race, it's going to be okay. You got to keep working hard. We're going to support you. And I've got your back. I think on Logan's side, that guy, I think that kept him from crumbling. Yes. I really do, man. Yeah. I, I think if you don't have a team principal, like a James Fowles doing something like that, I think it's game over for Logan as a, as a young driver, rookie driver in formula one, tough sport, tough series to be in. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I never got the perception that like he didn't think that this was a bad thing or like he, mm -hmm. you know, knew that he wasn't screwing up. I, I But James Fowles did really do, like you said, a really good job of man management with him, just like holding it together because yeah. he's in a tough situation. I think he you know, deep down, he might even have admitted this, that that, uh, you know, this is a lot to come really quickly and maybe he's not a hundred percent ready and just keeping, you know, this is, you know, this way better than I do, but like driving is all about confidence. And when oh. you don't, when you don't believe in yourself, like just it's over, just, buddy. yeah, it falls apart in a, in a hurry. And so, you know, just the fact that we did see those incremental gains, you know, there are elements, you know, just, I guess like you're just sort of looking for this at this point, but, you know, where you hang your head, oh, there's, you know, one really good practice session or, you know, first lap of, of Q1, like he's finally beating Albon. You saw, you know, you saw those little green shoots coming through late in the season. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to um, amount to anything next year. But, uh, you know, James Fowles seems to have invested a lot in this driver personally. And, you know, and not, frankly, I don't think he has anything to lose by doing that. Like they're, mm -hmm. they know where they are right now. He, they, like, they have to be patient with the direction of the team, you know, building up infrastructure, building up development capacity, making changes, at the executive and engineering level. There's so much wrong with, with Williams right now that has nothing to do with the drivers. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just sort of 
get this guy to hold down the fort. You know, having an American is good for sponsorship purposes. You know, maybe that gets him a little extra rope. And by the time, and, you know, and Albon's scoring plenty of points anyway. And so you can, at worst, this is something you can sort of live with. I think that's the the case. And, you know, that's why James Vals was, like, like I said, probably more patient with him than I would have been in that situation. The other part of this that I, I mean, I, I find really, you know, fascinating is obviously, you know, have to mention Logan's quality performance in Vegas. Yeah. Um, you know, I was there for that, reported on it. I've reported on Logan for Canadian, you know, television down in, down at that race. And it was great. It was fun because, you know, it's a driver like yourself. I've watched come through the ranks, have known for a long time. And it was really like a breakout performance at a track that no one has ever been to. Mm-hmm. And conditions as well weren't favorable to the tires. And for a younger driver, a rookie driver, you know, that's one of the hardest things. I mean, you saw Oscar Piastri struggle with it in Vegas as well, is that tire warm up and then also the execution when the tire's ready to go. And for Sargent, like he was friggin' awesome that whole yeah. that whole qualifying Q1, Q2, Q3, navigating his way through all that, like it was in a very impressive performance. And I think like that's what sealed the deal, man. I really do. And the fact that he closed that gap in performance to Alex over the race pace, like he finally was on the same page as Alex was for race pace. It's just that some races, and we're talking the back half of the season, some of those races, it was more along the lines of um, not managing the tire enough as the stint wore down. And that was, I think, one of the one of his things he needed to learn a little bit more. And that's a really hard thing to learn. Um, usually one of the last things to learn for a driver. But I think for in Logan's case, like he did a really good job of closing all that gap. And I think for James Vowles, like that's what he saw. He saw that this is a kid. He put the work in. He got the here. He nailed the objectives that we did ask him to do. And he's closed the gap to Alex in a car that's really difficult to drive. The other part of this conversation uh, Michael, that I find interesting is that the Williams, you know, driver development program, the Williams Racing Driver Academy, you know, and they never really like they've had one, but it's never kind of been, I would say, what it is now with being under Doralton. Yeah. And I think the money that Doralton invests in the program at the same time um, and Sven Smeets, who runs that program, I think that, you know, this is a program, you know, they've had drivers like Nicholas Latifi, Lance Stroll, like they came through, got into F1, but never a really true, true driver academy. Like now they actually have something that kind of like Red Bull has, where it's like actually turning out talent. And I, I think this is something that they really, really um, need to make sure it doesn't fail. I think not bringing, you know, you're going to not bring Logan back, who technically is kind of that first driver from yeah. the He's, driver academy I, punched his way through. I think that's a big part of it. That if yeah. you can this guy, and he's like, he's barely like a Williams Academy graduate. He was only there yeah. for for like, like a year. year and yeah. But still, he's like the de facto face of this. And we're seeing, you know, some 
Mercedes has obviously brought a bunch of people through Red Bull. Alpine, I think, has been very successful. I think has one of yeah. the, the deeper point. benches right now. Um, if this was happening with Alpine's academy lineup, I think we might be seeing a change too. Uh, yeah. But if you just bring one guy in for one year and then you punt him, that doesn't show a lot of faith in this academy that you're trying to to big up and and you know you're competing against Red Bull and Alpine and Mercedes and you know even. Alfa Romeo, uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber, like these are teams that are, you know, they're br- Ferrari, you know, bringing young drivers through. If you're a young driver, you're looking for where, to, you know, where you think is going to give you the best chance to to break into Formula One. Like I'd go to Alpine or Red Bull or, mm-hmm. you know, if Williams wants to to attract this next generation of young drivers, they have to show that they have faith in in the drivers that, that they produce. So I think that that's a, an added benefit to bringing him back is, you know, giving him every opportunity to, to be a success story for that Academy, even though he's not, you know, he's mostly a branding exercise, you know, from that perspective. I think uh, a couple other drivers that are <clears throat> part of that Academy is W series champion and current uh, Indy next driver, Jamie Chadwick um, F three stars, like Luke Browning, he just did a test actually in an Aston Martin because of, uh, I believe it was the British uh, Racing Drivers Club that got him that. Franco Colapinto uh, also did a test for Williams at the Young Drivers Test on Tuesday this week. Uh, same goes with Zach O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And then they have Oliver Gray. And then they have a few others as well. But I think they are really taking a strong look at like a driver like Franco Colapinto and Zach O'Sullivan to kind of see where they end up sort of turning out because I think for, for Williams, when they look at it, those are two drivers uh, and, you know, and obviously Jamie Chadwick as well have true, true potential as great racing drivers in formula one. Um, I would simply just say that if this were to fail with Logan, then I think that's what does in the driver Academy as well. And I think Doralton doesn't give it the support that it actually really, really needs if, Logan doesn't manage to kind of uh, close up the performance gaps and get the next deal signed. That's yeah, just I, what I would say. I don't think tying it all to one driver is would be a smart decision. I think like maybe you give somebody like an O'Sullivan a chance to to take that seat from him, and you know, if it just continues to to churn out you know seventeenth place drivers, then maybe you revisit things. But you know. I, don't think that that pinning your hopes on one driver, you know, particularly a driver who came through in sort of less than ideal conditions, would be a smart move. But then again, when is the the last time an American yeah. you know hedge fund <laughs> made a short sighted decision that sabotaged the organization <laughs> in the long run? So it's happened. Yeah. Uh, all in all, I'm happy for Logan. Um, yeah. I'm excited uh, that he got a second year out of this Uh, i'm excited to see what he can do next season i really do think that if he can string together consecutive uh performances bauman i think there's a really good driver in there and i think that you know if he's able to do that and head take that into next season i think that's a good driver pairing as well i think that driver pairing between alex and logan would be a good one and at the same time williams has got to develop a car that has a Good drivable factor. And that's one of the other things I've been noticing with these F1 cars is that as soon as they drop out of the drivability factor, so when a team really chases performance, 
the drivability of it, where the driver feels confident, can feel the car, knows what it's going to do, can be predictable. They're usually pretty handy and pretty quick, but then once the team chases the performance and it loses that drivability yeah. factor, which some teams have done that this season, the driver loses the confidence. Well, this so is so I think if they can get that under control, it'll help. This is what you hear people saying about what makes Max Verstappen and Lando Norris so special is those are two guys who have a very wide range of what they're willing to put up with in terms of a, yeah. a car that's like low on drivability, but high on potential speed. So, and like, I don't expect Logan Sargent to, to be able to do that, but you know, there, there might only be, you know, four or five guys in the entire grid who, who can do it oh, to yeah. that extent, but yeah, there's not many. There's you know, not many in the world. You can make his job easier, I think, than, than they sure. made it. But, you know, all that said, like, I like a lot of the components of Williams have put in place. I think this team was completely at sea, maybe as le- recently as last year. Yeah. And I think that they, you really do see them going in a positive direction. And if they can, if Logan can not even, like, equal Alex, but just be, like, a solid sidekick to him, I think that that, that really improves the team's outlook. Bellman, thank you very much for uh, yeah. taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Um, Wheelie Sports. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Okay, so I'll let you tell me about it, and then I'll follow up. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, encourage everybody to check out my work at Fangraphs.com. We've got the winter meetings coming up, so I'll be there in Nashville to to cover, hopefully, the Shohei Otani signing. But in my in my spare Coming to time, Toronto, by the way. Coming yeah, to Toronto. Heard, oh, man. So... <laughs> All the SDPN people I follow, <laughs> like I just saw yesterday on Twitter, just saw like blanket Otani to Toronto. And I've got, we've, we've parceled out some of the big signings and I've got Otani. So whenever he signs, wherever he signs with, I've got to write about it. And I was like, where the hell is this coming from? And it's, <laughs> I tracked down what I thought was the original reporter who made the report it's somebody i've never heard of before but like chris johnson's tweeting about it i'm like how is every (laughs) hockey person i follow is convinced that this is going to happen and like none of the baseball people are so i i think it would be i think it would be (laughs) sick if otani went to toronto i think that's a very fun destination and a plausible one but like you guys have got to calm down a little (laughs) bit um uh, anyway so wheelie sports this is something I've started up. It's a cycling newsletter on Substack. It's going to run twice a week. Um, I'm, co- I'm covering cycling basically from the perspective of of trying to get like North American fans into this weird alien punishing sport. I think that it has the potential, maybe not to to have that kind of growth that F1 did, but like I think everybody's or a lot of fans are looking for that next new, you know, yeah. next big thing, and I think that that cycling is fun and unusual and, uh, you know, more accessible than, than you might think. So I've got a, a post up today, the first proper post about how Matthew Vanderpool, the, uh, <laughs> I was just going to ask you about this. He's the, uh, one of the best riders in the world, how he's really a salesman for a German shampoo company <laughs> and how that, you know, how the, the team structure works and how teams are different in this sport versus baseball, football, hockey, you know, sports like that. So, uh, it's the newsletter is free until the end of the year. Uh, and it's going to go paid, uh, in January. So please subscribe on Substack. And, you know, if you like what you see, I would very much appreciate, you know, you signing up to, to read it next year. I really enjoyed, uh, today's article. 
when it showed up in my inbox. Um, it was very well written. I really enjoy. I'm a huge cycling fan, so I followed the sport quite closely. We talked about <laughs> Allison Jackson winning Perry Roubaix. So, yeah. Action Jackson, baby! As soon as I saw the headline for um, today's article, dude, I just thought I couldn't keep it together, bro. I just we're gonna have fun. This is my this is my promise. We're gonna have fun doing this. Soon, so. No, it's really good, man. I re- I like it, uh, and I appreciate the fact that actually, you know, you're 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 a great writer, but you're taking the time to actually invest in a sport that uh, is really great and that could use it. Like honestly, yeah. I I mean, this is maybe a little too behind the scenes, but when like just before like F1 sort of ticked over, I was working at the ringer and like, I'd sort of put my toe in the water and pitched like some stuff about Lewis Hamilton and nobody, if this was like six months before people got interested and I yeah. didn't push and didn't like really silo that off. And so like, that's one of my big professional regrets. So this is like me trying not to make that same mistake again with another sport. So I, you know, I hope people will get on board. Yeah, it's great. It's good stuff. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time too, as well, Michael. Um, if you want more Nailing the Apex, you can get Nailing the Apex wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch past episodes on YouTube as well. You can get more from me at Tim Haraney and all forms of social media. Uh, today, I was supposed to release the Alfa Romeo uh, Sauber F1 uh, Alessandro Luni Bravi interview, but I'm going to do that next week because of this news trumped it. So I didn't want to, I didn't want Alessandro to get buried because it was a great interview. And we talk a lot about driver contracts, how they work, because he used to do that before being a team representative for uh, the Sauber F1 team. Uh, other than that, We'll talk to you all next week. We'll see you later.